Hello, and welcome to the latest season of JCB's Gateway to Growth podcast. I am Victoria Berea Usher, Vice President, Marketing Communications for JCB International Europe. Please join me on an adventure navigating the complex world of payments as I invite guests to give a fresh perspective on a trending topic, but that's all within the world of payments. For those of you who are listening in for the first time, JCB is a leading payment brand and in fact, the only international payments brand originating from Japan. Being on hand with payment protection that's needed when it's needed is just a fraction of what being better with Omotenashi means for our customers. We are devoted to maintaining the highest standards of customer care and our advanced payment technologies have enabled cross-border JCB acceptance at over 39 million merchant partners and for our 146 million car members worldwide. So sit back and enjoy the latest conversations full of insights, advice and anecdotes. Today I welcome Graham Stanford, who is Commercial Director and Head of B2B Partnerships at the Bista Collection. Welcome, Graham. It would be really great if you can tell us a little bit about your role. Well, hi, V. Thank you very much for the invitation onto your podcast. I'm delighted to be here to talk to you today. I've been at the Bista Collection for about six years. I have to say, for full disclosure, I've worked before at American Express and at Visa, <laughs> So payments is a, a sector very close to my heart, something that I enjoy very much. So it's, it's, it's always wonderful to work with you guys at JCB. And my role and that of the team is to work with partners like you in win-win collaborative partnerships and really try and add value to you, to ourselves, and obviously to our mutual guests and customers who come to our villages. Fabulous. Thank you. Yes, definitely. It's a win-win situation for both of us. And I think for those who are maybe not aware of Value Retail and your kind of brand, the Bista Collection, I think it'd be really good, Graham, if we could just kind of run into what the brand ethos is. Yeah, just to explain how we all fit together. Value Retail is the creator and operator of the Bista Collection. Mm-hmm. And we are 11 luxury destinations in Europe and China. And what we try to do or what we do do is bring together the world's most discerning guests and the world's most renowned brands, often for the first time. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. And we really create a journey of discovery between the guests and our brands. The 11 villages in Europe and China, they are part of a collection, but they all reflect the culture and heritage of the region in which they're based. Mm -hmm. So no two villages are alike. And that's an important point that there's each individual village has its own personality, its own unique edit of world leading brands and as well, local nationally celebrated brands. We offer savings of up to 60 percent in Europe and up to 80 percent in China. And as well as the fashion and lifestyle, which is a key part of what we do, we also have restaurants. We have exciting pop ups. We have musical performances, art installations throughout the year, again, each reflecting the region and where they're based. The the whole idea is to create an experience focused on retail, but going much further than that, we create a unique open air experience for our guests. Lovely. You know, I've been to quite a few of the villages and I can totally attest that they are really beautiful. I haven't gone to China yet, but that's on my to-do list, Graham. 
So um, just thinking a little bit about your kind of villages and the pop-ups and the emerging designers, how do you promote that? Well, by the way, you're very welcome to come to China at any time. Thank anytime, you. But um, <laughs> yeah, the pop-ups, we'd like to promote emerging talent, as you suggest. And so we create within our villages chances for young designers to showcase their collections to an international audience, because we have a lot of international guests, to their local audience, that work with our expert retail teams, and they can be alongside the other you know, great brands we have in the village. It's a really a chance for them to put themselves as the young talent, the designers of tomorrow. It's a chance for them to, you know, offer something new to our guests. We know that our guests love innovation and newness, and it's a chance for us to, you know, as I say, bring that to the guests and for the designers to bring that to a new audience. And I guess that's that's one of your USPs, isn't it? You are a global brand and people know you. So bringing in that additional element, I think, is really great. And that kind of takes me a little bit into kind of the Bista collection, because you talked about the kind of different elements. So what is the role at Value Retail or at the Bista collection? Well, at Value Retail, essentially, we have a twofold mission. Mm-hmm. First of all, we exist to assist our brand partners to achieve their maximum sales potential. To put that more elegantly, we like to call ourselves <laughs> retailers serving retailers. Lovely. So we understand the retailers and we work with them alongside that sales potential. What's really important is to protect the brand equity. <laughs> we understand how important that is to our retailers and we fight and we fight very hard to ensure that we deliver that. The second part of our job is to create throughout the experiences that I just mentioned before, for our guests, a highly wonderful qualitative experience of memory. And the start point of that is that we see ourselves not as a landlord necessarily at that moment. We are see ourselves as hosts. We don't talk about visitors or customers. We talk about guests and we talk about ourselves as hosts. And really that's because we've taken a lot of learnings from the hospitality industry We even have dedicated hospitality teams working in each of our villages. These are the people that know how to create experiences Mm -hmm. and they make that village visit memorable. Some of our guests will maybe come to our village, our international guests will come once a year and we want to make that experience truly memorable. So we're working with our retail brands, retailers serving retailers, and then we're working with our guests to create that hospitality experience that we think is unique. And, and I can certainly say that when I've been there, I think it doesn't matter what type of client, whether you're a really ultra high net worth or, you know, you're just there to buy maybe one specific item, you do treat everybody the same. You know, it is that wonderful experience. You come off the train. And I was always surprised that when you get on the train at uh, Marleybone, that the train has multiple languages going into Bista, you know, And that experience starts there, you know, we're there to curate your experience. You come off and you've got a beautiful landscape garden and you've got like a bee garden. And, you know, it's just it just feels nice. You don't want to leave. And I think you've done that really well. All of that has been carefully, carefully thought about. And, you know, we we like to talk about our clienteling approach. So, yes, all of our guests are treated in in an elevated way. Everyone's important to us. But we know that there's certain guests who come that want expect something else and expect something different. And that's where you mentioned our apartment space, which is our VIP space. You know, it's a space where we can take people and we can give them that experience. We can give them that home away from home and all of those small elements, like you say, 
or like I said earlier, that, that that's really the hospitality approach that we take. Wonderful. And I guess that kind of ties in very well with my next point, which is luxury. Okay, so luxury is often, I guess, associated with all of those touch points. So sensory feeling is that kind of elevated experience, the, the creme de la creme, if you like. But I guess we do have to be practical, right? Because the pandemic must have been really hard for your business because you are a bricks and mortar establishment. Mm. So I guess one of the things that we saw in our organization was a dramatic shift from bricks and mortar sales through to e-commerce. So whilst our customers weren't traveling, they still had an appetite to buy. So I guess my my question for you is, and and something that you and I discussed previously is, you decided to explore a different avenue because you had to, and you innovated by introducing a new way of shopping uh, for your organization, which you called virtual shopping. So I think it'd be really great to talk about how you pivoted into that success and what that means going forward. I guess, well, for all of us, any business in any sector, what happened created a unprecedented challenge in many ways for, for and how to react to that and how to respond. And as you rightly say, as a bricks and mortar business, as a physical experience, which is what we are, and we believe that's part of our USP, that created a, a big challenge for us. So our response to that, and I think it's something that we're we're very proud of, and I, I'm certainly proud of the organization for, for, for what they did, was to create our virtual shopping proposition. Mm-hmm. And, and the first thing to say, I think, is very importantly, is virtual shopping is not online shopping. We are not an e-commerce provider. That's, that's not what we are. But virtual shopping was our response, something that we pioneered really for guests that wanted to travel but couldn't. So I draw the distinction that e-commerce is for really for people who want to shop online. That's what they want to do. Virtual shopping was really about people who would like to come to the village but couldn't. And for me, the difference or, or the difference for us was that the experience still needs to be part of that that kind of interaction between us and the guest. So our service is highly personalized. So there's still an experience there. So we used Instagram live streaming so the guests could still engage with the, the boutiques. They could see the product. They could interact directly with the store staff. They could make the purchases that they wanted to make and then have it delivered to their door. There's a lot of touch points in there that allowed us to still deliver what we feel is, a, as I say, an experience to that guest, Mm -hmm. something that's uh, customised, something that really reflects our clienteling ethos. And I guess that's, it's really important, isn't it? Because you've got the stock. (laughs) So you've got the stock that you want to share and you want to showcase. And maybe one of the things that's really lovely about that is there are fewer people in the store. So you can actually, if you're seeing it online, to be able to buy in that experience really kind of makes you feel like you're in the store. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, a huge credit to the staff in our boutiques, to the store staff who really embraced it as well. I think more than 80% of the brands at Vista provided their own tailored shopping guidance. Wow. And they would do that by a phone, email, video, WhatsApp. And they would, as I say, they would make the arrangements to make the delivery. So it kind of grew as a very bespoke service and the brands embraced it. We embraced it. And even despite the fact that we were open and we've been open for some time across all of our villages, the virtual shopping page on the village website remains one of the most visited page. Wow. And it's still a key source of guest acquisition for us. And as we move forwards, I mean, this is one of the 
I would say, positive legacies. We, we had to build the proposition because at a certain moment in time, it was the only way that we could you know, stay open for business. But, but, but now we have this additional channel and it will remain an important part of the channel. We're investing in that proposition. And I know that even as we grow, even as international comes back, our domestic audience is back as well. We will still maintain our virtual shopping investment and that will become maintain an important channel for us going forwards. And it's, it's so interesting how that omni-channel experience goes beyond just the physicality, right? And it does come out of a need. But the fact that your customers, there's desire for it and they keep visiting those pages just goes to show how much your global audience really wants to connect with you. No, I think so. And I think that's perhaps one of the things we've learned as well is that one of the trends that we're seeing is that people, at a certain moment, they want to come to the village. They want to have that experience. Other times they just would say, OK, I would like to have that same convenience but i'd like to do it online so i think we're providing that flexibility that mm-hmm. reflects one of the things that our guests would like to see and i think we're seeing that you're probably seeing that in your industry as you know in, in other industries as well the the merchants and retailers that you're working with i think we're seeing this sense of people it's no longer about online or bricks and mortar mm-hmm. people are jumping around they want different things at different times and I think the businesses that will be successful in the future in retail and in, in many sectors will be the ones that can offer the omni-channel experience that you refer to. 100%. And actually, we see that a lot with, um, as you know, we work with acquiring partners and they get a lot of requests from their retail partners on how do we unify that experience? Because you've got an app, you've got a website, you've got a physical response. And actually, if you want to try and tie that all in together, the unification of it is unified commerce, because then you can look at your kind of uh, stock, your inventory, you can create loyalty. And I think that's kind of the way that we're headed more and more. And I suppose that kind of really leads me into my next question, which is seeing that you provide that kind of guest and you are the host, you're the host to, to either the establishment or, or your guests that come in, how do you work with brand partners to support them through this, you know, growth and recovery post the pandemic? So V, that's a very good question in terms of how we work with our, with our brands. And we always take the view that we are long-term partners of the brands and that our interests are aligned. We operate in a different way. We operate very much in a a revenue sharing model so that when the brands are successful, we're successful. If the brands are less successful, then then we share that with them. (laughs) And I think that was important for us in the the challenges of the last few years. We were very commercially flexible. And again, we like to think that that was about us being a partner to those brands. As the brands found things difficult, we would work with them. And now as, as things are starting to return, there's still challenges. We will always work with our with our brand partners to, as I say, to achieve success in the long term. It's not about the next month or the next six months. It's about what we achieve in the long term. So we make it as easy as possible for, for our brands to sell. You know, over and above that, it's all about the brand equity. We allow our, our brand partners to reinforce their brand equity in our villages. Mm-hmm. And we acquire new customers for them as well. So... We did a major research study with McKinsey and they, they looked at this for us. We know that many guests who come to our village will go to, particularly our luxury brands, it will be their first time they visit those brands. Right. And because we run the village and we look after the village, but we allow the brands to run their own boutiques, 
So the boutiques themselves can reflect the brand identity. They can position how they want to position themselves. Many of them have the shop fit and design in the same way they would have their flagship stores in the full price locations. So the guest will experience that brand in the way that the brand wants to be experienced. And then what we found through the study with McKinsey is that the guests will come and visit the brand for the first time in our village. They will then go on to shop full price with that brand. That was really important for us because then we were able to prove or show that link and work with our brands to say that we can acquire the right type of guests for you. We are almost the gateway. Mm-hmm. Through our work and through our experience in our village, we can bring them a guest that will go on then to shop with them in full price. I think that's because when you go to Bista Village, you know, if, if I if I compare, I don't mean the comparison in the in the sense of you, you and them, it's just the experience that you get. If you walk out of Knightsbridge, some of these big brands, they're beautiful and you almost feel there's no one in that shop and you want to go in and maybe it just feels a little bit unattainable. At Bista Village, it doesn't feel like that. And in any other villages that I've been to, actually, it's such a welcoming experience that you then want to go into that brand and have a look. So, you know, whether you've been to the French luxury retailer or the English luxury retailers before and you've seen it in the affluent areas, I feel like you're you're in, an, in a situation where it just feels more open. And that's probably why your customers uh, feel like that, because you've made them feel that that is for them. The price might be the same, but the experience is different. It's not closed doors with security guards. It's much more open. Even though you do have security, it just feels a different elevated experience. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right, V. And that goes back to that experience, hospitality type of approach. Our, our villages are created as open air. And what's very encouraging right now is that we are starting to see certainly, for example, Middle Eastern guests, Indian guests, now from Southeast Asia as well. There's certain markets, also the U.S., they are reopening. People are traveling again into Europe. And so that's very encouraging. Having said that, in terms of what's new, I think people are traveling a little bit differently. People are, I think, booking later, having longer trips. I think there's, you know, there's some things around that that we're seeing this year, this summer. There's quite a lot of like intra-European travel. Mm-hmm. So people within Europe traveling within Europe. So, so international is back as a kind of statement, but the way it's coming back and the way each market is returning and the behavior of those guests, we are seeing some quite interesting differences. Do you know, we do see the trends, obviously, because we see our car member spend patterns. I heard a, a phrase being coined that probably about the second lockdown, which was shopping. They named it revenge against COVID shopping. So I can understand that kind of pent up, you know, I want to be able to go and have my you know, cake and I want to be able to shop and, you know, the coffee and be relaxed. So you, you're kind of seeing maybe kind of different patterns, different countries emerge. And I guess one of the things that I was thinking about, is there a correlation with certain trends in the market, for example, subscription models? We saw a few of the big kind of either a TV subscription model or a fitness subscription model being lessened. And I wonder that that kind of plays into your narrative, which is I want to go outside. I don't want to be indoors and I want to have that physicality aspect. Did you think there is a correlation between that and what you're seeing at the Bista Collection? I think there could be. I think it's a very interesting point. As I say, I can speak positively for the mm. fact that people want to come and have a, have a physical experience. I mean, perhaps as the fact that people were indoors for so long, they were subscribing for things, they were doing everything online, the pendulum has swung. 
Mm. And people have, I think, particularly this summer, have been wanting to travel. They've been wanting to experience. They've been wanting to get outside. You've probably got the, the, the data that, that, that can quantify that. But anecdotally, from what we can see, that's the behaviour of our guests in our villages. moves me on to my next point, Graham, which is the role of partnerships and the relationship that you and I have, which is uh, partnership marketing. So we've been partners since around 2019 across seven of the villages, mainly because that's where our kind of car member base travels to. And we've collaborated on many cross-border promotions um, and a few of them very bespoke for our kind of Asian audience. You know, on average, JCB kind of has uh, an average transaction volume with you that's increased by about 388% from 2019 to 2021 in quite specific villages in the UK and uh, Spain. One of the things that drives that is obviously appetite, like you said. But what do you think other players in the payments ecosystem can learn from these campaigns? Well, the first thing I'd like to say, V, is that we do have a fantastic partnership with, with, with JCB. And I think... Personally, I think it reflects the fact that we understand, as you say, the value for both of us in that partnership. And I think we engage in the right way. So, of course, there's the commercial and operational aspects, which I think we've worked very hard on. And you've talked about some of the great numbers that we've had there. We could talk about from certain source markets, issuing markets, the growth that we've had. We could talk about our websites and the translations that we've done. We could talk about the JCB Plaza in France, which complements La Vallée Village mm-hmm. and, and the role that that's had in driving transactions. Our team's working on acceptance and making sure that point of sale is there. All of these things are, are the right things to do and we've worked very hard on them. But as I say, over and above that, I think what's really defined our partnership is, is the willingness to really engage in the right way, mm. to be more, as we would say, we like to use this word a lot at the Bista Collection, qualitative approach. So everything we just talked about, maybe on the quantitative side, we've really approached this in a, I think, in a really elevated way. We've looked for things, how we can work differently together. We've looked at innovation. We've looked at marketing campaigns. We're looking at different markets now and what we can do. So that really for me, or for us, the partnership with JCB, the global partnership that we have, is really a a kind of shining example of what we're trying to achieve and what I'm trying to achieve with the team here in terms of our our overall partnership kind of portfolio. So so to so broaden that out, you know, if we take JCB, you know, we, we look for partners, global partners that, that can really work in the same way. So and the way that we try to look at things, and I think this is the most simple way of, of explaining it, is that we look at the guest journey. So we look at our guests from the moment they're thinking about traveling to one of our villages to the moment they're in our village buying in one of our boutiques. And then we try and find people that we can work with all along that journey. So, so clearly a payment partner is key to that because both when people are booking their travel or booking their visit, they may be using a, you know, a JCB credit card. When they're in the store, clearly they're using JCB or a payment product. Complementary partners along that journey would include people who are a digital travel platform for inspiration, a travel partner. I mean, you have to fly somewhere or you have to get a train. 
So mobility partners are a key part of our ecosystem. And then when you're in one of our destinations, people could well be staying. So we have many hotel partners, both internationally and then locally as well. So we really try and look for global and domestic partners that we can create into a portfolio and that we can work with and engage with in the way that we engage with you. And we find that if we do that, and we've been doing this for a while now, if we do this well, it creates, well, it creates a lot of value for both of us. We can bring in a lot of guests into our villages. We can also give something to our partners that they can give in their propositions to their customers, to their members. And that for us is just a really nice and successful way that we've been able to grow our business over the past few years. I think that's a very astute way of looking at it, right? Because actually you are looking at that customer journey when they leave their house in, you know, wherever country they come from. But there are more than just what happens in the store. It's it's their entire journey, you know. So to kind of put those partnerships together, I think, is is quite smart. And um, we're certainly looking forward into 2023 when we welcome more and more people back into Europe. Just to add to that, V, what, mm-hmm. one of the most enjoyable parts of, the, of my role and one of the things I like the most is when our partners become partners of each other. And then when we work truly sometimes it's not all the time but sometimes we can do what we call a tri-party activation or campaign so as i've just you know just explained a lot of our partners are very complementary so a hotel partner working with a with an airline or a payment partner working with an airline so when we're able to really combine partnerships like that together it can create something really powerful between three people so it could be an airline, it could be JCB, it could be an airline, it could be ourselves. That becomes very unique, very interesting for the guest or for your customer. And there's a lot of power that comes from then all of us combining our energies and efforts. So, you know, that, that's something that we really enjoy doing. And, and actually, as we move forward into 2023, we're looking for opportunities to do that because we really think that adds value. And we are too. And I think anybody listening right now who wants to sort of talk to either you or me about those partnerships should reach out uh, for sure. Definitely. So I think the, the thing that I kind of wanted to ask a little bit more around was you're a global brand. You're based across different continents, different countries. And you have talked about this previously about different visitors from different countries coming to all those villages. But my question is, what kind of cultural tendencies tend to influence the timing and direction of, you know, marketing campaigns? Because you are a marketing machine at the end of the day. So it'd be good to understand a little bit more about that behind the scenes thinking. Yeah, that's again another very good question. And um, we do work hard on our, our marketing calendar. And as I mentioned earlier, we have nine villages in Europe, two villages in China, each village is, is individual. Mm. So we have that. And I guess, you know, many organizations have the same sort of strategic challenge that we like to have the consistency of doing things at a collection level that reinforces our brand, but obviously then can get executed and amplified and ultimately become successful at a local level. So we work very hard. So we have a marketing teams working centrally on central campaigns and central activations. And then we have teams in each village who both take the central campaigns and run with them locally, but also create unique local campaigns themselves. 
So we really divide our marketing calendar across central activations, local activations. And then, as I say, even the central campaigns that we activate will have a local flavor to them. And that, and that reflects timing of, of local, you know, different villages will have public holidays at different times. There'll be different kind of local restrictions, perhaps on the, what you can promote and how cultural differences, like you say, will partner with different people, say art installations mm-hmm. in Madrid will look a lot different to what we might do in Fidenza. So, and the music differs and the food differs. So it's a really exciting, moving type of, of calendar with, with all of these things. And I think often the speed and we need to do the planning and, the, you know, it's always very fast moving and we're retail as well. So, but we try very hard, I think, to summarize and to answer your question to make sure that we are sensitive to cultural tendencies and that we are still consistent and we can promote our brand in a coherent way. And I think that's actually one of your really strong value drivers, which is the insights that you garner from this, right? Because any retailer that comes in will be able to sort of say to you, I'm trying to target this market. If they're a new partner of yours, what have you done before? How can you help me reach that goal? I think that's that's a really wonderful experience that you can bring on board to them. Exactly. And I guess, again, thinking about our theme of qualitative and quantitative I guess what I've described on the marketing side is that's the qualitative mm-hmm. approach. It's the great campaigns. It's the activations. It's it's the excitement. But then we are able, through our various systems and our expert teams, is to get insight. As you say, we gain that insight. We can share that back with our brands. We can understand what type of product a Japanese guest is looking to buy in our villages. And we can make sure that next year, for example, we know that Japanese visitors will be traveling between May and June. I'm using this as an example. And they like to buy a certain product. We can make sure that the brand has the right stock and the right sizing so that we, we can go that extra level to ensure that the guest gets what they want. But we allow ourselves the maximum chance to maximize our sales opportunity as well. So, yes, we do get a lot of insight of our domestic guests, our international guests, we have retailers within our own company that can work with the retail teams mm-hmm. of our brands and really optimize what we're doing. And, and I think that's great. And I think that's one of the things that we found really useful because obviously we have car member spend data, but there are other factors that we're not even aware of. So exactly what you just said, that's what great partnership is, is collaboration and understanding. And I guess a point to add to that is that, as I say, we're working with our brands as partners and we're working with, with people like you as our partners and very often what we were able to do now, which is, again, very exciting for me and my team, is that we get great insight from our partners, people like you. We can combine that with data that we have, and then we can share that with our brand partners. And then our brand partners get interested and maybe ask questions of our partners. So, again, we create this tri-party relationship between our, our brands, what you would call your merchants, ourselves and you. And again, that's bringing value into the ecosystem for all of us. Definitely. That's a quid pro quo, isn't it? And I guess as, as we come towards the end of our lovely conversation, one of the things that we really want to focus on as, as a brand going forward into uh, the next three to four years is really focus on that retailer relationship. So if there was one piece of advice or a little bit of a nugget of information that you would like to leave your thoughts with to someone who might be listening, what would that be? I will profess to not being 
the retail expert. <laughs> and I have to say that because there'll be colleagues in my organization who will be shouting, at, going, why is, why is Graham talking about retail? That said, what I would say, as I think I've, I've, I feel quite confident to say this, to share this as my, as my personal advice, is that what's making us successful is our focus, it's our agility, and it's our resilience. But I think of those three words I've just used, I think the agility is the key, the key piece of advice. We, we kind of learned that through the last two years. And that's now how I'm seeing we're operating. And I think the brands that are being successful are the ones that are adopting the same type of approach that we need to plan. We need to plan for growth. We need to plan that things will go well, but we need to know or, or accept the fact there's still a lot of uncertainty around. Things can change very quickly. That's what we learn. And the fact that to be agile, to respond to things that happen, and even to use one of the convictions that our, our chief executive officer, Jose Luis Duran, is using at the moment, is keeping our options open. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, again, to sound very practical, or and I know that sounds very evident, but that would be my biggest piece of advice, is that keeping your options open commercially in the way that you operate looking at the resources being able to adapt plans very quickly that's certainly what i'm looking at for my partnerships business i think it's what we're looking at overall and i I would say that for any of your listeners i would offer the same advice is to keep your options open before we tie off our great chat today graham and thank you for all of your insights i wonder if there's any other final nuggets of information we can give to our retail audience who might be listening well, thanks, Lee. I, I think what I would leave you with potentially is returning to a point that we spoke about earlier, just to pick up the, the flexibility between physical and virtual. And I, I, I know that, you know, many of your merchants and retailers will, will, will know this, but it's just to say that I think, as I said earlier, the old thinking about it's offline, it's online, it's physical, it's virtual. I think that's gone now. I think that success in the future will come to those who embrace that thought, that idea they elevate their customer experience through all channels and that through understanding the customer through data, they can then scale and they can offer the tiered benefits and they have the flexibility and ability to be able to do that wherever their customer is. So if you're doing it in the physical channel, you need to be able to match that in the virtual channel. So I think it's that omni-channel approach. It's been able to scale. It's been able to be consistent across all of them. Like, I completely agree. Okay, so our next podcast is going to be with our Indian team. And the reason why we've chosen to bring them on board is because it's a strategic growth market for JCB. If I can end and conclude today's conversation, uh, you've really given us some great insights, data-driven, qualitative-driven. Make sure that you really think about your strategy going forward, partnerships. Is there a question that you would like to ask our next guest? Well, I would actually. A little bird told me that your Indian team would be your next <laughs> podcast guest. So I have thought about this question. And, and actually, seriously, it's very interesting that you're now seeing India as a strategic market for you. It's certainly one of our fastest growing markets for, for, for guests for us. And as I said earlier, even now we're seeing a lot of Indian guests in our villages, particularly in Lavalay and, and in Bista. So we're focusing on it as well. And, uh, you know, as a great global partner, it'd be great to work with you on India. But my question really, I guess, for your team is, 
who will be experts on the Indian market, aside from yourselves, who are the other partners that we should be thinking about working with? If I, if I think back to that guest journey idea that I spoke about earlier, who are the key partners aside from JCB that we should be working with in India? That is such a wonderful question and one that we will pose to them before they join us on the call. And you promise you'll tell me the answer? Maybe. (laughs) Of course I will. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I feel like we've known each other for such a long time now and we meet at these occasions every two to three years, once in Amsterdam to talk about payments at Money 2020 and now here in, in a more of a virtual setting. But Graham, thank you. I really appreciate your time and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you very much, V. I enjoyed it a lot. I always enjoy our discussions and it was a great privilege to be invited onto your podcast. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us on this latest season of Gateway to Growth podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your colleagues and network. And why not subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Please send feedback and suggestions for future topics to our email address, marketing at jcbeurope.eu.